episode 210, Mike Kading, CEO of Norhart. And so changing my mindset to I can't afford it to I can't afford not to have the best was sort of the biggest transformation for me in, in my journey. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Mike and his company, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 210. As always, thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. Our guest today is Mike Kading. He's the CEO of Norhart. They are a company that designs, builds, and rents apartments. They're transforming the way this is done by incorporating technologies and techniques that have revolutionized other industries. So we'll have a chance to delve into that a little bit today. And this has resulted in better quality and reduced cost of housing, um, which sounds great. They're committed to solving America's housing shortage and affordability crisis, and, and they hope to improve the way we all live. So I want to talk more about you know the values and the, and the culture that you talk about um, at Norhart. But first off, Mike, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, I know learning from mistakes is you know an important part of the culture and, and the environment there. And we'll we'll talk more about that. But you know, as we always do, uh, you know, Mike, thinking about your work and your career, um, looking back, what would you say is your favorite mistake? You know, my favorite one is probably not realizing the importance of people early on in the company. You know, I think the number one lesson that I ever learned is to hire the very best. So many people think that the best people are too expensive. And of course, when you look at them on a cost per person basis, they're quite expensive. But instead, what people forget to realize is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. And so when you look at it from a perspective of what they're producing, they're actually less expensive. And so changing my mindset to I can't afford it to I can't afford not to have the best was sort of the biggest transformation for me in, in my journey. So I and 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 I love that you you point that out. Um I mean it seems like that's a model that companies just thinking of a couple Costco in and out like they famously I can think of um Bucky's convenience stores in Texas and a few other states like they are are famous for paying you know, it would seem like above average rates and salaries, but they get so many benefits from that. Oh, absolutely. You know, early on, I, I didn't understand the importance of that. And I would, would push people like to see how low we can afford people, or we would bring on a lot of temp labor thinking that's going to help me reduce costs. But all it does is create headaches and problems and lack of momentum and turnover, right? And we turn that on its head. So we're offering unlimited pay time off to construction workers, hourly workers, which is something that I haven't heard of people doing, um, but even just paying top of market. And it's amazing the transformation that happens. I think the most surprising thing is that the best people start unlocking doors that you didn't know could be unlocked. 
and you start being able to step back and say, all right, these guys are so much better than me. Let them run. So how did you discover this, this mistake or like, what was there an epiphany? Was there a coach? Like, I'm curious, like a lot of people might just, you know, uh, waltz through their entire career with that mindset. What, what opened your eyes to this? One of the buildings we were doing, actually the one I'm in today, uh, we were building this building and we opened the first half and the second half was just full of junk. It was just, just a nightmare. And in the basement, we have an underground parking garage and it was just full of stuff. And we had the mayor of our city coming to live with us. We had to drive through this like canyon of stuff. It's like, dude, I thought we got past this. Like I thought we got past all these issues and we had a a better system. Like we reverted back a little bit and I went and started spending some time with the team. Started realizing that this isn't, something isn't quite right here. And about that time, I read probably one of the most influential books of my life, which is No Rules, Rules by Reed Hastings. And in that, they talk about the importance of the best people. And that, and then the people around me who were good, kind of pointing these things out and saying, Mike, you're being an idiot. Like you're, you're the one causing all of this pain. It's not them. It's not anyone else. It's you. And you have to change your mindset. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <So> <laughs> it took me a little bit of time to kind of come around and we, and we were really trying to hire someone great at that time and, and realizing, dude, we do actually have to pay top market. Um, and so that was sort of the epiphany. And then we, we changed it. We looked at our entire staff. We let most of them go and we rehired and kind of started from scratch and it changed everything for us. Wow. And that's the point we started doubling in size every year. So how, how many employees did you have at that point when you kind of did that reset, if you will? Um, like 30 to 40. Okay. And, and, and you've been growing to how many employees today? About 250 today. Okay. Wow. Um, so Reed Hastings for, for people who don't know among I guess he's most known for being the founder of Netflix, right? Yeah. Is, is that the type of kind of like, I don't know, like tough love blunt message that, that's better delivered through a book than it might be if, let's say somebody in the local, you're in Minneapolis, St. Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say yeah. somebody you know in the business community, you know, would, would would try to say something like that to you in person. Like, I'm curious, like, just to think through, like, you read it and you're like, oh, wait, oof, like, did it sting or... Because it was Reed Hastings, like, did it land? I wonder because of who he is. You know, I think it probably would have been better delivered by a coach or someone there. I just, uh, we had some people speak up, but I think for me, it was most con concisely put in that book, which helped me understand it. I, I don't know. For me, I've always recognized how little I truly know. And sometimes that's an asset because we start questioning things that are going on. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. So the more people I can get around me, calling me an idiot, calling me out, pushing me to be better, I actually really enjoy that. Yes, it yeah. stings, it hurts. I've had moments where I've really questioned my own abilities because of the people around me telling me I'm poor at something. But that has only helped make me better. And, and I don't know, that, that's what I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, and, and it seems like not every leader is open to that kind of feedback, whether it's delivered mm -hmm. bluntly or politely. Like, you know, there's, there's, I, I, I like how you distinguish, um, you know, being, 
the difference between being stuck in the way we've always done it versus challenging things or, or distinguishing between what we know and what we can go test out. Right. So back to your point of like this idea of, um, you know, top grading or paying, uh, you know, top, top wages, hiring the best, like did, was that an idea that, that you thought you had to go test or what helped you feel comfortable moving forward with that idea? Uh, you know, sometimes in my life, I should probably be doing a little bit more testing than we do. And I think that kind of goes okay. back to that ignorance and not knowing what we don't know. In fact, looking back a little bit, I think some of the good decisions we've made were, were I don't know if I would have made them again now that I'm older, simply because I knew the pain that we went through and going through that process. So uh, we just, I think just one day I just said, all right, enough is enough. We're kind of switching my mindset. I'm just going to accept that this is fact and we're going to try it out. And yeah. we did and it changed everything for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how quickly did you see the impact of that, that change in philosophy and approach? Um, I mean, it, it took us six months to get through the whole staff and then maybe another three to six months to get new people kind of up and ramped up. But before that point, we were growing at about 16% per year, which is still pretty good to like doubling in size every year. And you can see the impact there of the quality of team. And and, and were there any lessons learned? I mean, yeah, I, I, I would have, I think if I were there side by side with you, I would have agreed with you on this hypothesis or this idea. Um, but, you know, no, no, no idea is ever perfect. Like were there, were there adjustments that were made along the way? Yeah, I think the dark side of hiring the best people is that you have to fire the average. And we often talk within our company that there's a spectrum of staff. You've got the great people. Most companies know they want great. You get the bad ones. Most companies know they don't want the bad. The difference with us is that most companies will accept the average, but we don't want the average. We want only the very best, the ones that are going to change the world. And that causes angst in those who are in the average or they're unsure of where they stand. And so one of the things we stole from Netflix is the keeper test. The idea there is if a particular employee were to quit, how hard would they fight the manager fight to, to keep them? And if the answer isn't fully enthusiastic, I want to keep this guy, then, they, then we shouldn't keep them around. And um, so I think the lesson that we've learned in trying to implement this better is to provide better feedback, better insight into those staff members that are a little bit more on the edge. Um, I think what's worse than knowing you're not making the cut is just not knowing which way it's going to go. And that creates a bad kind of environment that we've got to be mindful of. Because I, I imagine even if someone is, you know, someone, this is like the language of HR and evaluation sometimes, you know, meeting mm -hmm. expectations. Like they're okay. They're not a quote unquote rock star. They're not causing any problems, but I mean, you, you've made an investment in a person and we're going to come back and talk more about some of your values at Norhart. Like imagine like if, if someone's really aligned to the values and they're living those values, it's easier to say, okay, well, we're going to invest in skills or other competencies that they need to become a top performer. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our, our values aren't even tied to skill much at all. You know, one of the things we'd look at is not are you best in the world today? There's only a handful of people like that. 
we're looking at, are you on the journey to become best in the Mm -hmm. world? Yeah. If I was to work directly with you, are you pushing me in some meaningful way? Are you better, or at least trying to be better than me in some way? If I feel that energy and push and and camaraderie, then great, you're the right person. If it's just a, yeah, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm here to punch a clock. It's just not a good fit for us. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mike, um, I'm I'm curious if you can give us a little bit more of the history of of Norhart. Yeah. Um, I, I know you took over from your father and that it was sudden and unexpected. So I, I'm sorry to bring that up, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit of the context there of, you know, becoming CEO and, and looking at, you know, whatever history or culture was there versus where you were looking and taking the, looking to take the company where you are taking it. Yeah. <clears throat> so this was originally a family business and I can remember as a kid, pipsqueak kid, very young, uh, we would be taking family outings to the local hardware store about a half an hour away. We'd each fill up two carts full of stuff and bring it to my dad's little trailer as we headed down the highway and back to our buildings. We'd be building like eight or 10 units uh, a year. And then uh, I went off to college and I wanted nothing to do with the family business. And my dad really wanted me to join, but I Looking back, I think the really the reason I didn't want to join was because I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own ego on that point quite a bit, and then uh, eventually I came to the conclusion: all right, I'm I'm going to jump in. We're going to be part of this because deep down I knew I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And if I'm going to have that kind of impact, why not use this platform that my parents already started to grow that into something much larger? So my dad and I uh, worked together for a few years, and it was really it was really a good time actually. And then um, one day, he was no longer here. He he passed away. Um, he was relatively young, and it was totally sudden and shocking. Mm, um, gosh. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Yeah, so we really a, a rough point in our life. Um, but if I'm looking back at it, in some ways, there was magic in it. And I think the magic is this. I didn't know much. And because I didn't know much, I didn't know the way things were supposed to be done, right? And we could start questioning everything. And there's nobody to tell us no, <laughs> Maybe not a great thing, but that's the reality of it. And so we push back, we change, we try new things, and this allowed for some crazy new innovation. But at the same time, there was a tremendous amount of pain because at that time, uh, my first project after my dad passed away, um, the city didn't believe I could do it. And in all honesty, they were to a degree correct. In fact, they shut us down twice in that project and the second time they brought me in and said, Mike, you need to hire a professional manager. Oh, right. I'm just deflated. And then uh, we brought someone in in the course of three days, which is the worst way to hire someone. That was not a good fit. <laughs> but we had him around. And then behind the scenes, we're working like crazy to try to get everything figured out and fixed up. And I can remember toward the end of the project, we had this water main. Thousands of feet long, buried 15 feet in the ground, and the pressure test wasn't holding, meaning there was just a pinhole leak somewhere in this pipe. 
So I'm out there in my fancy, nice clothes, in the mud, trying to find this leak with their excavators day in and day out. We found the leak about a week or two before opening. And then about a week before opening, some of the city officials came out and looked at the building and said, there's, there's no way. We're not opening this building. You could send everyone home. They're not, they're not moving in here. And I remember the last day before we're supposed to open, we had uh, half a dozen inspectors for about a half a day come through and look at the building. At the very end of that, the head building official brought me down to the basement and said, Mike, all the projects we've done in the city, this is the nicest we've had. Oh, I was like, finally, <laughs> right, finally some confirmation that we can do what we thought we could do. But, you know, that's the dark side of not having that experience. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you've got a great team and you've built a team that you can rely on for those details. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and that is the magic of hiring great people is now that we have that whole infrastructure, a lot of those things that used to be major pain points are no longer pain points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, our, our guest is Mike Kading. He's uh, the CEO of Norhart. Um, talk about the company a little bit before we we delve into the the, the culture and some of the values. How, how rare is it for a company to design, build, and rent? Like, I guess my guess would have been you have developers, builders, and then it's sold to somebody who who owns and rents and maintains. Am I, am I wrong in that? Or is, is your company, how, how, how unique is that, what you do? It's quite unique. Yeah, the world of construction, typically the owner is a different company than the general contractor who's different than the developers and the subs and the, uh, and the supply chain and the manufacturers. Uh, imagine for a moment if construction would be were to build cars. They would have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door, and a different company installing the wheel. And then the wheel company, well, they would call us up and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I got this other project. We're delayed. We won't be out there for a couple of weeks. Your whole line would be shut down. And then when they did come out, they would be irate because they could only work on one car at a time. See, the world of manufacturing looks at us and says, we're crazy, but this is normal in construction. And so bringing all the work in house was sort of one of the first steps we did to solving the construction costs. I mean, it sounds like it would be a a matter not just of cost. I mean, maybe, you know, it's vertical integration. You're taking out some layers of margin, but it also sounds like it would be a matter of of speed and and quality and, and coordination from doing it this way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, quality alone. We have, uh, we'd hire drywallers out and I would come do inspections periodically and certain walls had to have two layers of drywall. But the thing is that first layer, once it's covered up, never gets seen. So what do the drywallers do? They put it up like a kindergartner had installed the drywall. It was mismatched kind of sporadic drywall everywhere. And I walked in and they'd be, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. We'll get this fixed. But think about how often they were doing that. Right. If you have your own team, they're not incentivized to do that. And they take a lot more pride in their work. But because everything is in-house now, we can also think about efficiency. And so if you look at manufacturing over the past 60 years, they've improved labor top productivity by 760%. Agriculture has improved by 1,500%. During that same time period, construction has done 
nothing or yeah. 10%, but basically uh, nothing. Right. Yeah. And so if we can just take the lessons learned from these other industries, we can have some radical improvements. For example, uh, the assembly line, right? It radically improved manufacturing. But how in the world could you take that concept into construction? I mean, you can't take a building and drive it down a line, can you? Well, no. But what you can do is you can move the person through the building. And so right now, every five hours, our teams shift through the building. And if you look at the very end of our line, you see a brand new apartment unit being produced every five hours. And just that one technique takes a 15-month project down to nine months. Wow. But that wouldn't even have been possible unless we brought things in-house. Yeah. So you you mentioned manufacturing and, you know, uh, th- th- those are my roots. Originally, I started in the auto industry working with um, assembly lines. Um, you know, your website talks about bringing techniques for manufacturing. So it's a company near and dear to me. Tell, tell us uh, about at least one of those companies that's been helping you and, and how they do that. Yeah. So the inventors of sort of these efficiencies and something called lean is uh, is Toyota, right? They did they ra- They radically improved the space. So why not, if we're looking to find the world's best, why not tap into the best people in the world what they do? So we got connected with Toyota, and uh, they were excited about this because they want to see improvements to the overall economy go beyond just manufacturing. And so it's just a great partnership. Uh, they're out here um, for a week every month right now, and it has just been phenomenal. The lessons learned from them is just fantastic. Um, we actually met up with some of their executives just last week. And the lesson I learned from them this last week is you really want to think about culture as we're talking about here. You can bring people in and improve something about your business. And then they leave and that thing goes back to the way it's been. And so how, how do you change the way that everyone thinks about this so that it becomes embedded in everything that you do. And that's, that's what we're working on currently with Toyota. Yeah. Yeah. And Toyota and their TSSC group, yes. as they call it, they work with um, suppliers of theirs, manufacturers. They've done a lot of pro bono work for nonprofits, like with food banks and soup kitchens and um, helping them improve, not coming in to be the idea people, but to come in and, and coach and teach methodology. They've done a lot of work in, in healthcare and, you know, I could see, I mean, I can't speak on their behalf, but um, I could see the appeal where, you know, Norhart talks about, and there's this phrase that's on your website, obsession to improve our customers' lives. Like that, mm-hmm. that's kind of a high-minded um, purpose or, 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 or mission where I, I, I could see, you know, Toyota talks about doing the same things around mobility and improving people's lives. Yeah. So I wonder if that was part of the connection of like how they decide to work with a company like Norhart. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a several month process that we go through and kind of evaluating each other to see if we're a good fit. And a key piece of that's the culture, right? If you don't have the right culture in place, Toyota might be open to working with you, but but they're not going to have any bit of effectiveness unless you've got the right people and the right um, willingness to change and improve. And so, yeah, it's been a great partnership. In fact, uh, uh, we're in talks about becoming one of their like prime sites that they kind of show off to the rest of the world. And maybe we can 
share this knowledge and experience we've gained in the construction world with other companies. So I'll put links in the show notes uh, for the audience about some of the videos and some of the work that TSSC and Toyota have shared. Maybe I'll look forward to there being a video about Norhart someday that we can love it, watch and learn from and share. So you know, you you, you talk in videos and on the website about the importance of culture, creating mm. an attractive culture, and I know how important that can be, you know, to people in manufacturing. So I wouldn't be surprised that that matters to people doing. Um, construction. Um, but can, can you kind of talk about like that connection of, of somebody who's you know, a drywaller or a painter or whatever their, their field is, like they may have always thought of like the tasks and the job. I'm curious like, if you have stories about how like that connection to purpose and, and mission connects with people uh, in jobs like that. Yeah. You know, the, the heart of it is understanding what your purpose and mission are. Uh, and if you get that right, it takes some time, but if you get that right, that connection starts happening. You know, for us, our purpose is to create a better way to live. But I think the impact that we can have is solving America's housing affordability. And once people start to get that, they realize that we're more than just here to make some money or just to get some work done or build a nice new building. We're all about solving that problem for humanity. And that gives people an extra energy and oomph to get what they're getting done. You know, another piece of our culture is our mission, which is to build and manage awesome apartments. And we stay laser focused on that because we want to be literally be best in the world at doing that. That's the goal. That's not just some statement. That is actually the goal. It's really a lot of fun because you go on site and talk with people and you hear people responding that back regularly. Like we want to be best in the world of what we want to do, because that's what it takes to solve this kind of problem. You know, another thing I often hear, the world of construction, typically it's kind of rough and tumble. Uh, people can be yelling and screaming and kind of mean and nasty. It doesn't bring out the best in people always. And so oftentimes at orientation, people hear our orientation. I, I'm at or every orientation. And uh, at the end, I just get their feedback. And a lot of times, someone in the room will say, Mike, this sounds great, but this is too good to be true. I have lived in construction for decades. And people yeah. say this sort of thing, but it never actually happens. But then what I say is, in two months, you and me will be connected back up again for follow-up orientation. This is your chance to tell me everything that's going wrong and right in the organization. And Two months later, without fail, every single time they come back and say, Mike, I thought you were full of it. And then I walked on site. Right? That that's the powerful moments when you know finally something is working the way you hope it will. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um there's there was one line or something you said. I'm calling it a line. That that's that's not the right. It wasn't just a line. I can tell it's something you believe. So calling it a line isn't that that was a mistake on my part. But um, I, I don't want to say it on your behalf, but I'll try to tee you up. Like what well, you said reminded me of something I've heard from um, Eric Reese, the author of the book, The Lean Startup. Are you familiar with his work? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so Eric talks about in the, in the context of entrepreneurship or building software or building a company, basically saying, like I'm paraphrasing that, it's disrespectful to waste people's time building a product or services that nobody 
really wants that without without we we it's not just the wasted money or the wasted effort but to me it connects back to toyota and saying we should respect people's time and and the time they're giving to us so do, does does that point you close enough to what what i remember from your video to kind of tee up about life being short oh yes yeah you know my dad died at a relatively young age and um, it really reminded me how short life really is. Right? We only live about 5,000 weeks here on earth. And I often ask myself the question, how do I want to spend the minutes I have here on earth? Right? And it's literally minutes. I, I'm not exaggerating with that. That is my life. It's down to the minutes. And the reason that is, is I want to make some kind of meaningful positive impact in the world. That's a big part of who I am. If, if I'm going to do that, if our company is going to do that, if we're going to change this world in a positive way, that means that we need to spend our time the best we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, really powerful how, how that was stated. And, uh, you know, you, you said two parts that I took a note on here. Um, don't, don't waste your life doing work you don't enjoy and, and mm. don't, Waste your life working with people you don't enjoy working with. Yeah. So, somebody may have one or both of those dimensions. Ideally, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Ideally, you, you have both. Well, one of the things we talk about is if we want to be best in the world, do you think you have any shot at doing that unless you love what you do? There's no way. No way at all. And what's one of the things we talk about at orientation. And, but it's it's so much deeper than that because. Life is short. Don't waste your life doing something you don't want to be doing. And just like you said, don't waste it doing it with people you don't want to be with. You know, people often join an organization because of the reputation of the company or because of maybe the recruiters calling you a bunch or the pay or benefits. But people leave for a much different reason. They leave because of their experience with their manager and their coworkers. And so when we think about culture and think about the teams, we put a lot of time into making sure we have the right people. Because <laughs> if you get that right, it is just magical. And I've seen what amazing teams look like. And I am tenacious and driven. And I will fight to the end of the degree till we get to the point where every team is at that kind of level. Yeah. And, and it seems like building upon that belief and 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 hiring people who are aligned with or can embrace the values really really helps um and 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 two i want to call out in particular i'm going to just read a little short excerpt from the website and ask you to provide some commentary or yeah. elaborate on it mike so one that stood out to me um improve every day we mm. question the status quo we believe work shouldn't be complicated we relentlessly simplify and automate our processes. Tell, tell us more about why that's so important to you and Norhart. Oh my gosh. There's so much I could go into here. <laughs> um, so if we're going to solve housing affordability, we're going to solve the construction industry. And people often think, well, dude, it must be just some magical bullet. Maybe it's 3D printed homes or <laughs> full volumetric construction. No. <laughs> I tell reporters all the time that, no, that's just this one piece of the puzzle. And that's a good, important piece. I know it gets headlines, but in order to solve this industry, we need to solve 10 
thousand little problems. Now, if you think I, as the CEO or my leadership team or the managers can solve all those problems, you were wrong. <laughs> I often tell my team in the company, especially at orientation, if you thought we hired you just to swing a hammer, it's wrong. I hired you to invent the next way that this work is done. And so we challenge everyone to every day come in and look, what is a small two-second tweak that you can make to your day? How can you fix what bugs you so that your work becomes easier tomorrow? And in fact, we we even go a step further. And all of our trades, all of our teams, every single week produce a video. And this video is showing off something in their team that they improved that week to make some kind of meaningful improvement uh, within their team. And it's just a lot of fun. There's celebration. There's excitement. Uh, it's When you get the right people in the, in the place, it's just phenomenal. But um, but yeah, improving something every day is such an important aspect to what we do. Yeah. And, and making it safe for people to speak up. Psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Ch- questioning the status quo is something that gets people in trouble or punished in a lot of environments. And to build on what you were saying, you are not going to come anywhere close to being the best company in the world if it's a culture where people cannot challenge the status quo. Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like you've seen my orientation. This is great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, part of, uh, well, even psychological safety, that's what I end with. Because Google did this study comparing the very best versus the worst. Have have you shared that study with your listeners? Uh, We haven't talked about it directly. I I do point to it and mention it in in my book, you know, from Amy Edmondson's work with Google. But yeah, but, but, you know, please go ahead. So the, the study I'm referring to, they did this difference, compared the very best teams in Google for the, the good ones. And again, the teams in Google are all really good. But what was that difference? There was a number of factors, but the number one most important factor that they found was psychological safety. And psychological safety is how comfortable you feel at sharing your honest belief of what's going on. And I tell our team, like, Imagine if a genius were to battle it out against any one of us for a problem with a problem. Now the genius is going to win. But if you take that same genius and have them battle it out against a team of people, a high-functioning, competent team, the team will win. But what's the trick? The trick is that we're tapping into the brain power of every single person in that room. You know, we're so hardwired to want to feel accepted to feel like people like us. And so that causes us to take suboptimal choices, like not asking questions to avoid feeling ignorant or to not question the status quo so it won't come off as negative. But if only two people in a group of 10 are providing all the feedback and thoughts and idea, why do we have the other eight? We need everyone involved so that we can get the very best ideas. And then I ask the the group, and I say, hey, who do you think I'd rather hear from? Do you think I'd rather hear from the 20-year veteran in our company or the brand-new employee? They say it's the brand-new employee. And the reason that is is because you haven't drank the Kool-Aid yet. (laughs) You've seen things from a different perspective. You have different ideas and concepts and ways that you can push back and teach us and train us something more. So please speak up. And then I end with a story. You know, one of our um, 
we do these annual meetings every single year with all of our teams separately. It's a full day event. In the end, they go do something fun. But during the meeting, I remember one of the teams I met with, I was talking about psychological safety. And there was one guy who was quiet in that room the entire time. At the very end, he spoke up and said, Mike, you know this thing on psychological safety? I see it. You know, I am afraid to share my thoughts. I'm afraid to speak up. You know, look around this room and everyone's so much more experienced than me. They're so much smarter than I am. I have ideas, but then I think, well, I'm sure they've already thought of that idea. And what's so powerful is what happened next. Everyone in the room went around one by one and shared with this employee and said, dude, we love you. We chose you to be on this team. And we want to hear your ideas. Mm-hmm. And so at orientation, I look at everyone. I say, dude, I love you. Chose you to be here. By extension, I want to hear your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you have to set that tone, not just, I'm going to provide some commentary here. I mean, I love yeah. what you're saying. Like you as the CEO and others in, in Norhart who share that culture, it demonstrates like, when you talk about hiring the best, like I don't, I, I would propose, and I'm, I'm guessing you agree. It's a dangerous way to ask a question, but okay, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> it's not even a question. I'm going to make a statement. Um, it's not a matter of hiring people who are uniquely brave and courageous who will speak up no matter what. Like it's 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 a matter of creating the conditions where where people who unfortunately have been taught by previous employers. Don't make waves. Keep your mouth shut. Don't be a troublemaker. You 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 have to draw that back out of people yeah. and demonstrate that it's actually safe, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a an international team as well. About fifteen percent of our staff are across the globe, and we have a couple of people in. Um, oh, I'm blanking on the country now, but it's in the, in an Asian country, and they. I don't know if it's their country or just the companies they've been with, but it was very much the culture where. They would tell you to speak up and then they would bash you down when you did. Mm. And it really made it clear, like, you don't speak up with this group. And we hired them on. They were always very polite, always, absolutely, we're on this, we're good. And I I knew, I, I just from experience, no one is ever that happy with everything. Like, if you don't tell me something is wrong, then I know you're not telling me the truth. And so I pressed them and pressed them. Eventually, we started realizing that, like, we need to go through some kind of exercise, something, so they, they can know that I'm actually serious. And so what we did, so we took a half-day meeting, and the entire part, the thing of the event was me defending outlandish things. Like, we're going to build an apartment building that's only for birds to live in. Or, <laughs> I've got this new ingenious idea. We're going to offer all of our rents for free. Talk about housing affordability. Really, there you really go. good. And yeah. their job was to debate me and call me wrong. But what was powerful about that is since we used an idea that was ludicrous, it gave them enough room to start speaking up against me. And then that gave them some more confidence to have more authentic conversations with me later on. Wow. I love that. Practicing by pushing back on a ludicrous idea. <laughs> yeah. That's what and, it took for them. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. It took oh, that's what it took yeah. for them because yeah. there was such at a point of fear. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, meeting people where they are is important. And, you know, another value here, and I'm going to um, bring it into, I think, one of the other values that you've demonstrated if it wasn't even part of the list. So the one that's on the list says, be a genuine human. We are mm. kind, supportive, and humble. We share credit, admit our mistakes, and learn from them, right? So that's music to my ears, all of it, but that part especially. We are open, honest, and vulnerable. And, you know, I, it seems to connect then into um, transparency. And this is the the last thing you know I wanted to ask you about here, Mike. Um, the practice of sharing your employee survey results online. Yeah. Like, in a lot of organizations, they would not share this with everybody internally. But I could go and read your 65-page um, thing you posted. And I, I, I didn't read all of it, but I did a search for the word mistakes. And here, here are the two comments I want to read to you and get your comments and reaction on. So one from a painting and drywall employee said, we're allowed to make mistakes because we are human. We learn from them and grow uh, and with more practice and we get better. We are all working towards one goal. Mm. And then the second comment, which I think was somebody in a business function said, uh, we own our mistakes and we make continuous improvements. Like that's, that. that's, that's awesome to hear. Dude, you're the first podcast host that's found this. I'm so happy <laughs> for that. That's fantastic. You know, uh, for us, we do these surveys, uh, and it's a nation. It's put on by a nationwide company, so it's independent of us. And you're right; most companies don't offer those survey results all publicly, or even to their own teams. In fact, in these survey results, there's a certain section that only the CEO gets. Nobody else on the team, none of the the managers, nothing. It only goes directly to me. Do you have a guess of what that is? Hmm. What my score? Yeah. How oh, I did? Oh, right. Well, guess what? The first thing we show <laughs> when we meet with the company, yeah. I show them my results, and they're not perfect. I'm average or so amongst the the kinds of companies that take these surveys, and so I think it's so important to be transparent completely with where we're at and the stuff because I often say I don't want to be fake good. There are a lot of companies and countries that fake good, right? They, they pretend to be something they're not. I'd much rather be imperfect, but honest. And the reason is because then I can work to improve. Right. And if, I, yeah. if I'm honest about it, hi, I'm Mike, and I have problems. Now we can talk about those problems, work through them, and make them better. And so, yeah, this last survey result, we decided to take it up a notch and said, why not just offer these results to the world? Like one of the hesitations we see in employees jumping between companies is the fear that the grass really isn't greener on the other side of the fence. And if all of us companies were to be very honest and share those results, the employee, it's better for the employee because they know what they're getting into. But it's also better for the company because it forces us to be better. Right, transparency inspires better results, and I think there's a powerful element that many companies miss. Yeah, wow, that's really powerful, and I'm I'm glad that you're um, not just doing that, but sharing that with others. I really appreciate that, Mike. So before we wrap up, and I and I hate to wrap it up, but I think I'm hopefully we'll be able to do uh, a, a longer discussion about Lean and Toyota and yeah. another podcast that I host called Lean Blog Interviews. There's some I feel like we're scratching 
the surface here. But uh, we've been joined again by Mike Kading, CEO of Norhart. Um, tell, I know you wanted to mention two things that you're launching soon, two new initiatives. Um, please you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, two big initiatives. The first is Norhart Invest. It's an opportunity to allow investors to become the bank and to earn the interest plus the bank's profits. And so we're offering interest-bearing accounts that are quite strong in the market right now. And if you're willing to lock, lock it up for a little period of time, then you can get higher rates or it's a little lower if you keep it flexible. So that's sort of the first big thing. And the second is a new podcast called Becoming a Unicorn. It's about the journey of small companies growing to billion-dollar enterprises. The twist is that we want to look at what that journey looks like authentically, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we are not far from launching that, but you can visit our website to see more information on both. I'm excited. I will definitely check out um, that podcast. And final question here. I mean, uh, did, did anybody push back on either of these ideas as being spectacularly bad or uh, you, you you had pretty strong agreement around at least tweaking the concept um, to, to, to something that you think is going to succeed? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So the podcast, uh, part of the reason it's not launched yet is because version one was one thing. Then version two was like, okay, that's not very good. Let's do, we went to version two, recorded a bunch of episodes. And we listened back and like, okay, this is not as good as we think it can be. And so now we're on version three and it's actually turning out quite nicely. And that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't got all that feedback as we were going along. Even, even to hard invest uh, that has evolved a lot over the last uh, nine to 12 months, just based upon feedback. And so we meet with a lot of investors right now, and now we're to the point that we get a lot of positive feedback, but it wasn't that way originally, right? We have to tweak and learn as we grow. That's great. That's great. So, um, Mike, really, uh, really appreciate you, you know, being here to share you know, not just your own story on growing as a leader, but talking about what you're doing uh, at Norhart. It sounds like there's a, a lot of great things going on. So I will put... Lots of links in the show notes um, to the website and, and videos and to the employee survey. And um, you know, I hope people will go um, check that out. And um, I, I know we're going to be hearing more from you at some point, Mike, uh, here and other, other podcasts and other venues. So really, really appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having this. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Uh, it has been fun. Oh, I was going to say, yes, yeah, I'm sure um, you're, you're, you're working toward being the best podcast in the world. So... <laughs> Someday, yeah. We'll uh maybe we'll have some collaborations. <laughs> and I'm gonna learn from what you're doing and improving. So um Mike, thanks, thanks again. Thank you. Well, again, thanks to Mike Kading for being a great guest today. To learn more about him and his company, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake two one zero. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.